Right, good morning, everyone. Um, so this is our third Summer Sunday, as Gavin has already said to us, during which we've been exploring what we believe, as Christians, God is like, a series called I Believe. So far, Rob has shared how God is love, and last week, Lou shared how God is mighty. And this week, I'll be unpacking what it means when we say God is holy, the holiness of God. I have true to Jubilee style three points for the message today. <laughs> the meaning of God is holy, the holiness of Jesus Christ, and finally, approaching the holy God. So first, God is holy. So if you were asked who God is, what would you reply? Maybe that he's omnipotent, that he's not subject to physical limitations like man, that he can do what he wants and is all-knowing. Being omnipotent, God has power over wind, water, gravity, physics, and so on. God's power is infinite or limitless. Or you might say, well, God is love. And all those things are certainly true. Andrew Wilson, in his book Incomparable, declares that the most central truth about God is that he is holy. But do we know what holiness actually means? We often think about holiness applied to how we live, how we behave, but primarily our Christian understanding of holiness comes from God himself. He is holy. He is, if you like, our definition of holiness. People who have written about God's holiness agree that the holy God means otherness, complete difference to everything, distinct. God is set apart from us as he's separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honour. God has no darkness in him and he cannot be manipulated by sin. James 1.13 tells us that God can't be tempted by evil. That means God can't be credited in some way for being unfair or unjust. He's completely reliable and trustworthy and true and is himself truth. We can be confident to trust Jesus Christ, our Saviour. The psalmist declares God's perfection, holiness again and again. Psalm 99, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 77, 13 says, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? And again, Psalm 86, 8, For among the gods there is none like you. Lord, no deeds can compare with yours, for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. Now, R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, says, What God does is always consistent with who God is. He always acts according to his holy character. God's internal righteousness is the moral excellence of his character. It is rooted in absolute purity. There's no shadow in turning in him. As a holy God, he's utterly incapable of an unholy act. There is consistency in God, a straightness about him. But you see, God is so different from us in so many different ways. We die, he doesn't. God is eternal. God doesn't have a beginning and he'll never have an end. Scripture says in 1 Timothy that God is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Everything in the universe is finite. He is eternal. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. We're dependent on food, oxygen, water and other basics, but God hasn't any need of anyone else or to be served by anyone. Acts 17.25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, rather he gives all men life and breath and everything else. God sits on a throne and governs creation, and we think we've got authority and behave independently. 
God is in complete control. We rush about trying to get things done and can let things get on top of us. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. And we let materialism, individualism and idolatry sometimes consume us. God is high and lifted up. He has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 103.19 compared this to man's attempt to build a tower to the heavens in Genesis 11.5. There are no words to adequately explain God's holiness. We could say he's majestic, awesome, divine, all-knowing, all-powerful, or even, if you know what it means, and I don't really know what it means, I have to read it, eximious. But no words can truly describe his holiness. Instead, God communicates his holiness through his actions. God is holy. I hope you're getting the message. But the problem, and the problem for us is this. If God is holy, and he is, then God is unapproachable for those of us who are not holy. The two can't mix. And if you think about it, that's exactly what most other faiths are based on. A distant, far away, unapproachable God. If God is so holy, how do we get close? How do we relate? How does his holiness have a significance in my life and in your life? Secondly, the holiness of Jesus Christ. God didn't tell us about his holiness. He showed us his holiness face to face. God sent Jesus to show us what holiness looked like. Think about that. Jesus is our example in our lives and we're told that our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, Philippians 2. God wants us to obey him and imitate his holiness. Leviticus 20, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. And again in 1 Peter 1.15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. So, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Well, we are fallen, spiritually, morally, physically, and mentally born into a tainted world with evil impurities everywhere. Even our heroes are impure. We learn to expect this from life. Tozer suggests we learn not to expect honesty and then create laws to protect ourselves. Now, my heroes growing up before I became a Christian were people like Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, and the man known as Tankman, who stood in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square, if people remember that, as a protest against military crackdown. My heroes all chose to challenge injustice. However, all those heroes were far from perfect. They all had their issues, and unlike Jesus, who displayed the perfect holiness of God. As a Christian, one of my heroes is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor from Germany who vocally resisted the Nazi dictatorship in the Second World War, and for this was ultimately hung. There are many other examples of Christians standing up for their faith and then paying the price for their lives. For if you want, if you want to be inspired, read about the lives of people like William Tyndall, Jim Elliot, or John Wycliffe. Their legacy is that they grasped the holiness of God, responded and acted. Not because they were perfect, but because they were obedient. And we can find it really hard to grasp the holiness of God. I can find it really hard to grasp the holiness of God. It's beyond our understanding and beyond our description. But these Christian martyrs seem to have seen something different. They seem to have grasped the enormity and significance of a holy God. In the Old Testament, there were places that the holy God could be encountered, high on a mountain, in the inner sanctuary of the temples, through a complicated series of rituals and important people like priests. That's how you encountered God. But Jesus turns it all around. He ushers in a new way, a better way. Now we can approach God through his son. 
Jesus takes our sin on the cross and through the cross, we who are holy are made holy by the living God. Holiness and holiness don't mix, but Jesus is the solution. The thick and high curtain separating us from the holy of holies is now torn in two. In 1 Peter 3, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He places his righteousness, righteousness on me, forgiven, clean, accepted, and a child of God. That's what we've been singing about today. What God's holiness demands, Jesus' grace provides. God calls us to be holy, to be holy inside and out. And we know we mess up. But under the direction of the Lord and obedience to his word and spirit, we can all lead a life of holiness. A man convicted of murder in the USA was imprisoned for life. After a visiting pastor shared the gospel with him and the man gave his life to Christ, the man was so excited and found his past sleepless nights and worries all went. He was overjoyed with his new life. One of the other in, um, prisoners scorned his excitement, saying, well, whatever happens, you won't ever get out of this prison. Nothing will change. The other man replied kindly, before I knew Jesus, I was in a prison, but now I am free. The point is, the man's freedom was not to do what he wanted, but what the Lord wanted, and he understood God's holiness. Humbled by God, he eagerly shared the gospel with other prisoners. His life was changed. So approaching the holy God, in the face of our holy God, what is our response? Do we grasp the enormity of God's holiness and fall at his feet in worship and reverence? Do we approach the throne of grace with fear and trembling? Because that is what his holiness should do to us. There is reverence, a worship, an overwhelming awe that should come over us when we encounter God. That's the fear that we see written about in the Bible. Too often we know in our heads that God is holy, but we act in our hearts as if we just don't care. Actually, I think maybe we're so overwhelmed with our inadequacy, we simply don't know what to do. In Psalm 11, it encourages us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in Proverbs 1.7, fear is also the beginning of knowledge. Now, God's holiness can't be ignored. Throughout church history, revivals have been closely associated with a renewed and enhanced awareness of the holiness of God, the fear of God, accompanied with a heightened conviction of personal sin. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah is so aware he is sinful because of being in the awesome presence of God. This is biblical fear in action. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, the train of his robe fills the temple so there is no room for anyone or anything. His holiness surpasses everything. His, the, word, the word holy is repeated three times and no other attribute of God is repeated like this in the Bible. The purpose? To emphasize the unquestionable truth that being holy is God's character. Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah is absolutely undone by the holiness of the Lord and so intensely aware of his own insignificance and smallness in the face of an awesome God. One of the seraphim touched Isaiah's mouth with a burning cold, symbolically cleansing him and his mouth. And what is God trying to accomplish in, in Isaiah's life by the vision? Now, Sproul again suggests that God wanted Isaiah to understand that the vision of his holiness was to have a great impact on what he said and how he said it. 
God manifested his holiness and Isaiah never lost the vision of whom he served and whom he must both fear and please. I know I've been aware of my own failings and still am in truly grasping the holiness of God. We can let our mood, our thoughts, our circumstances decide how we approach God or we can choose to allow God's holiness to fill us, captivate us, to drown out the things that are not of him. But fear of getting it wrong or being unworthy or being exposed for all our wrongs, all of those can stop us doing that. The trouble is we often can't accept that in a corrupt world where we can choose what we want to do or who we want to be or that even such a thing as there is no even such a thing as holiness. In my work I support young people with mental health difficulties and one thing that is consistently talk, talked about from young people is that feeling that so many young people have the need to be perfect, to be the best, not to do their best, but be the best to set their expectations so high that they're unable to reach them. The result? Feelings of inadequacy, despair and failure. One young girl I worked with became so depressed about not achieving grades as high as her friends that she tried to take her own life. With help, she was able to find a more realistic perspective about herself, expectations and be happy with her own achievements without comparing herself to other people. God is different from us. But he accepts us and then works in us and through us. If we compare ourselves to God, we fail. If we understand how he is holy, we can cooperate with the plans he has for every one of us. Listen, we will get it wrong. We are unworthy. We are already exposed to him. We can't hide because he knows exactly what we think and feel and do already. If you are a Christian, he chose you not because you are worthy, but because he loves you. If you're not a Christian, you can change your life today. The holiness of God is transforming power. In Revelation 4, describing the perfect holiness of heaven, we hear the angelic hosts, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Hear that? That's day and night, every day. Every day bowing down, submitting to a holy God in every situation, at home, at work, at leisure, with friends, in the supermarket, wherever you are, with those who may even despise us for our faith. Listen, we all sin. But God says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The problem is we try and hide from God or conceal our sin or even just listen to the lies of the enemy who whisper that sinful acts are okay We'll sort them out another day. I just want to ask you some questions. How much do you involve God in making decisions and leading your life? I want to encourage you that if you are challenged by that question, and I am too, to, to ask for God's help. Be vulnerable and open with others in the church who can share wisdom and pray for you. That's challenging. To be humble, to admit our need of a holy God, to admit this to others. But prayer is our approach. And in Hebrews 4, we're encouraged to approach his throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's not arrogance or presumption, but confidence because God is our counsellor. In 1 Peter 2, it's declared, you are a chosen people, that's you, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you still carry your sin? Give it to Jesus. 
Do you carry it? Do you still get derailed and unsettled by habits, behaviours, choices, your language? Ask God for help. Do you follow your plans or God's? Submit your plans to him and he will make them straight for you. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's word matters. His word is reliable. I know it isn't wrong or tainted by sin or would lead me astray or down a path that isn't best for me. His holiness envelops us with truth. His plans are the best plans and he's got one for all of us, for all of us to prosper and not to harm us. A few more questions. How big is your God? How big is Christ in your life? When Habakkuk met God, he was so overwhelmed by what he saw. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled in the fear of the Lord. God's ways are always best. They're always best because they're founded on truth. They're founded on truth because truth is from God and he is himself truth. That means when he speaks, I know it's true because the character of the one is who is speaking. I'm going to conclude, and I can say it no better than God. To be holy is to set apart from the world. Listen, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.